Amen. All right. Who is excited to be finished with the Sermon on the Mount? That's a trick question. You can't say yes. Uh, listen, I love the Sermon on the Mount, and I enjoyed preaching through it. It's just a tremendous passage of Scripture. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I was excited this week to study a new place in the Bible and for God to take us into this new path that I know is at the right time and the right place. Um, and, uh, and so I'm excited as we jump into this series. Uh, I don't think it'll go 16 weeks. We'll try to do it in eight. We'll try to do two months here uh, on the life of Moses. Now you could spend, I could probably spend the rest of my life preaching on Moses and the story of Moses because he's a character much like, much like us, much like you, much like me who struggled to figure out and go back and forth with what he wanted in his life and what God had for him in his life. Who, who struggled in this internal conflict of sorts of feeling unworthy at times uh, and struggled in feeling like he needed to take the situation into his own hands at times. Does that sound like you? Sounds like me. Uh, and so we're going to spend some time learning this. The exciting thing, you know I always do this. I did this on the series on the Sermon on the Mount. The first sermon, what didn't we do? Look at one word Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. We didn't get there yet. So this morning, as we begin to talk and work our way into the life of Moses in a series I'm calling Following God into the Unknown. And if that doesn't resonate with you at this moment in time in our culture, in our society, in the history of America, then you're living somewhere besides me. <laughs> because there feels to be a lot of unknown when it comes to the future. And so we're going to dive into this and we're going to see what God speaks uh, at this, this moment in time nearly 4,000 years ago. Uh, interesting thing about the book of Exodus, which is where you find the story of Moses. Uh, Moses is the author of this book. And so just keep that in mind as we read these words and uh, work, our way, work our way through it. Here's what I want you to understand. The reason we're not going to get, this is part of the story of Moses, but we're not really going to talk about him yet. He comes in in chapter 2. But sometimes you have to appreciate, or in order to appreciate the miracle of deliverance, to really appreciate Moses, you've got to understand the depth of despair. To truly understand what happens in chapter 2 and how incredibly amazing and miraculous it is. And Moses knew this. He was a great storyteller because in chapter 1, he sets the stage. He tells you what's going on. We get caught up on a decent amount of history. Uh, those of you who've been joining us for some time, you might remember me preaching through the life of Joseph. Y'all remember Joseph? We called it uh, Our Mess, God's Masterpiece. I think that was the name of the sermon series. Um, and we preached through the book of Joseph, or the story of Joseph. And we get caught up here in chapter 1 about that story and what's transpired. It, who remembers the, the story of Joseph? Come on now, I'm not going to make you talk about it, but you remember the story of Joseph, right? And i got to catch you up real quick so you know what's happening. And Joseph uh, was the son of Jacob, who was later called I Israel. God changed his name to Israel. Y'all ever heard the children of Israel? 
I didn't know what that meant when I was a kid, maybe not until like 10 years ago, that children of Israel, they were literally children of a man named Israel. Whoa, what? It can't be that simple. It is. Israel, Jacob, was in the lineage of Abraham. You remember the promise to Abraham, the covenant, that through Abraham's seed that would outnumber the grains of sand his promise fulfilled, fulfilled through Isaac, Jacob, who later became Israel, and Joseph became a part of this story. Joseph had all kinds of brothers. I'm not going to tell the whole story, Joseph. Long story short, they sell him into slavery. He gets to Egypt, where the setting of Exodus chapter 1 takes place as a slave, and God works through his mess that he's found himself in and makes a masterpiece as he puts Joseph into number two in command, essentially working for Pharaoh, which is the king of Egypt. His family back in, the, back in Canaan are all starving because there's a famine. They come to Egypt looking for the man who's been put in charge of all the grain and food. That man happens to be the brother that they sold into slavery. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph. Long story short, he takes care of them. They all end up moving to Egypt. Exodus 1 tells us it's about 70 between the 11 brothers and their children take up abode in Egypt. Joseph is politically aligned with the Pharaoh. All is well. God has preserved his lineage and his promise. Fast forward 400 years, we get to the beginning of chapter 1 of Exodus. And I promise I'm going to get past the history and the teaching part, and we're going to find out what God has here. But it's important to understand this framework. Uh, and they've grown from 70 to estimates are 2 million. That's what? That's a, lot. That's a big growth in 400 years. I mean, you plan in four generations, your family, to be 2 million of you? Huh? That's a... That's a good little uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Spread that table. All right, so there's two million, and here, here's what happens. They're in Egypt. And we're going to get to the verse in just a minute. Um, but they've, they've grown, and they've outnumbered, and they're, they're just, they've become, an, and they're living separate from the Egyptians, and there's now new pharaohs, and there's new people in place. And the world is different than it was, than it was when Joseph was there and when they started out in Egypt. It was a very good place. And yet here we find uh, in the beginning of the book of Exodus, and it talks about all the family and the numbers. Uh, and then I want to read you in verse 8 what has happened. Verses 8 and 9, it says, Then a new king. I want you to, and we're going to sit here a minute on this verse. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. Then a new king to who Joseph meant nothing. And I, I mean, that, when I read those words, meant nothing. Uh, I just thought about times in my life when I felt that way. And I, I thought back to the story of Joseph of how incredibly powerful he was, how incredibly blessed he was. And now all of a sudden, it means nothing. It says to this new king, Joseph meant nothing. He came to power in Egypt, that king did. He said, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. We find they begin to become afraid of this 
large population living among them, scared that if they went to war, those people might turn against them. And so I want, to, I want you to take this first point uh, that I want us to just, just let it settle into our soul is this truth that seasons change, but God does not. Okay, can we sit right there just for a minute? Seasons change for, the, for these people who've probably heard stories after story of how God had blessed Joseph and their family to get there. How they probably remembered the good times. That seasons change, but God does not. You imagine how they must have felt in their circumstances. Because what begins to happen here, they say, I know what we can do to get this, this group of people under control. We're going to turn them into slaves. And they took all the children of Israel and they put slave masters over them. They started working them. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But can you imagine how they must have felt? Probably inclined in some way to say, you know what? This ain't right. Don't you remember how it used to be, how good it used to be? Probably inclined to put together some plan, some strategy to get to this new king and say, hey, but Joseph, don't you remember Joseph? Don't you remember how we got here? We're, we're special people. The inclination is to go to the new king to put together some strategy. I'm, Bethany and I have lived through all kinds of seasons in life, right? I mean, we're not that old, but we're getting close to 40. We've dated, we've been engaged, we've been married. We've been in college, we've lived in apartments, we've rented trailers, we've lived in houses. We've been married uh, without kids. We've been married, that was lasted about four years. We've been married with children. That's a throwback to last week if you were watching when I misspoke. But we've been through seasons of life, right? And seasons change. And here's the tendency, and you're going to see the children of Israel live up to this over this, this next two months. When seasons change, you tend to just want to place stakes in the good old days. Right? You want to rest back in the good times. But the seasons have changed, but God does not. And that's what they're forgetting here. It doesn't matter how things used to be. And this moment in their life, this moment in your life, it doesn't matter how it used to be. God doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about your mistakes. He cares about your right now. He cares about your today. You, if you care about your tomorrow, that he wants to care about you today, you need a relationship with him because there are things we don't know. We don't know tomorrow. But we have an opportunity to have a personal relationship with someone who does. Who does know tomorrow. It's not unknown to him. And so this takes a little bit of faith, and we see uh, this with, uh, you ever see, we see this with Moses, but you ever see people that want to live in the good old days? You know, there was a uh, kind of a goofball com comedy, Napoleon Dynamite, y'all. Here's some laughs, y'all watched it over and over and over. First time you're like, I'm never watching that again. The second time you're like, I just watched that again. Third time you're like, I need to watch that again. <laughs> it just keeps getting funnier and stupider. See, a stupid is not even a word. But there's a guy in it, and I had a buddy I used to call uh, Uncle Rico. You remember Uncle Rico? 
in the movie, he had a, still had his Letterman jacket. He was about 50, in his 50s, probably. But he still had his Letterman jacket, and he'd be standing out uh, by his camper. And uh, Napoleon would go see him. I think it was his, yeah, Uncle Rico. And he'd go see him. And he still had the, he, he was literally watching the videotape of the high school football game they played in. You remember? He was saying, I still, I remember that line, I throw football over a mountain. He'd throw that football, he wouldn't go anywhere near over the mountain. But he was living in the past. And here's the temptation, and, and God knew this, and God saw his people living like this. It says, it says a new king came into place, and Joseph didn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. The past doesn't matter anymore. See, Paul used to be a friend of the Pharisees. He used to be. He used to be the most fierce enemy of the early church and the Christians. But when God spoke into his life, and here's, here's the title of this morning's sermon. It's called Move On. It's called Moving On. When he looked into Paul's life and said, Saul, you're no longer going to be Saul, you're going to be Paul. He struck him down the road to Damascus and Paul's season changed. And something blew Paul's mind because here's what God said. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because you've got to think about the, the mindset that Paul was in. He thought he was fighting for his God. He was a Pharisee who believed in the, the God of the Old Testament. That he thought he was fighting for this guy. That he was on his side. And then God spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, the light bulb, Paul's life was never the same. It was time for him to move on to another season. Here's the thing. The children of Israel were getting ready to go into a life change. They were going to have to move physically. It was time for them to stop resting and what was in the past that they felt like was good because what God had in their future was so much better. It was so much better. What God has for your future is so much better than the way things used to be. What God has for a future is so much better. So, but we don't always need to move on physically, but many times it's emotionally. Emotionally, we get attached to the good old days. And you're, we're living in a season right now. I want, you to, I want to just speak into this moment and this day that we're all living in. That we long for pre-COVID. And I'm with you. I don't love this. <laughs> That's to put it nicely. We long for pre-COVID. And our heart is to say, God, just, just take it back to the way it used to be. But for some reason, God has us here in this moment, in this time, for some reason. And it is full of purpose. Purpose for Him and His glory and His honor. He has got some reason. And He's asking me, He's asking you, stop looking back. 
Because while you're looking back, you can't see where I'm going. You can't go with me where I'm going. And at some point, we've just got to trust. And we've got to stop putting our own agendas together. How do we change? And whether we're going to have to wear a mask, whether we're not going to do this and this, this, this. And just like the children of Israel, they were probably thinking about, I've got to change the Pharaoh's mind. And they forgot, I'm God's chosen. <laughs> I'm the chosen of the creator of this entire mess. Maybe we should draw closer to him in this moment. Here's the other thing I want us to see. At one time, when the brothers figured out who Joseph was and Joseph figured out who the brothers were and, and, and his dad Jacob found out Joseph was still alive, uh, when, when, when all this came to pass and they all moved to Egypt and they all had food, this place called Egypt was a tremendous blessing. It was a good place. But what was once a good place has turned into a place of bondage. It says, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Have you ever been there where what at one time felt like a good place and all of a sudden it feels like a place of bondage? And you can start to sense the changing of the seasons. You know what's incredible? Well, why do seasons change? Because God made it that way. <laughs> I mean, aren't you? We're thankful. I, I would never want to live in a place that only had one season, right? There's, some of those exist in the world. But I really enjoy I mean, by the time summer's about halfway through, I'm ready for fall. By the time fall's halfway through, I'm ready for winter. By winter's halfway through, maybe... By the time winter's a weekend, I'm ready for spring. And God makes life the same way. He moves us from one set of circumstances to the next. But what can happen is a good place, a job situation, a relationship can turn toxic. And we just want to go back to the way it used to be. Because it used to be such a good place. And we'd rather hold on to that, in the memory of what was, the emotion that we associate with what was, than open our eyes and our heart to guidance and direction into the future, walking hand in hand with God. It's like, a, you know, the, the illustration people use about the frog and boiling water, right? I mean, you're, you're so immersed into a situation that it's happened slowly over time. And, and at some point, the children of Israel, uh, the, at least one of them, and we're going to find out what God does during these times of, of evil, these times of uncertainty, these times of unknown. What, what's God doing in the middle of all this? We're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, but uh, uh, God wants us to remember that like a frog, that the, the water just keeps getting warmer and warmer, and eventually, if it doesn't realize, it'll die there because 
It's happened slowly. And there's things, there's what used to be good in your life. I don't know what that might be. A friendship, a place of work. I don't know. And it's become toxic. But you will find that the children of Israel, as God begins to bring... This sounds like a miserable place, right? They are, I mean, ruthless. Another way to say it, they made their lives miserable. But God wants us to remember in our misery, when we are struggling, when we are right in the midst of the, the greatest trial we may have ever passed, He has not forgotten us. And that he has not forgotten you and that he is right there with you. He was right there with them. uh, Because we're going to find out where God is during all this. He is preparing. (laughs) He is at work. And I love this story. I love the narratives of the Old Testament because two things come out. Right? One, we see the providence of God. We see his ability to control time and kings and countries and, and people's lives and guide and direct them. And at the same time, we see something called free will. We see people's ability to choose and follow. We see that in the New Testament. He says we're predestined, but he also says we've got to choose and that people can be convinced and that he gives people the opportunity to follow him. And a lot of people put those against each other and somehow God's bigger than me and I think both are true. God has the ability to be ever-present in our lives, yet he calls us to action. And that's the story of Moses. I hope this morning uh, that we're not like the children of Israel who are going to continually say, did you bring us out here into this wilderness so that we could die? Can't we just go back into slavery? Can't we just go back to Egypt where we knew my, I knew my routine every day? Where I knew what time the alarm clock was going to go off. I knew my boss. I knew my friends. Yeah, it was miserable, but I just love to go back there. All right? That's what we say. We find that God is present during this story. And here's what, here's what happens in these times of uncertainty when, when it feels like evil is in control and the world is full of chaos. Here's what happens. Uh, God, he, he's listening. That's for one. We find that he hears their cries in chapter two. He's working on a plan. But he, he, he is calling people during this time to make a difference, to right some of the injustices, to help, to serve neighbors, to take care of one another. Here's a great example. In Exodus chapter verse 17 uh, uh, well, right before this, I don't have the verses up, you should go read them, but the king decides he's going to get these two midwives uh, that are um, the, 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 the Jewish midwives. Uh, let me read it for you. Uh, the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua. Anybody got expecting a baby? There's your two good names if you have a, have a girl. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Here in verse 17, we find what the midwives did. It says, however, they feared God. Here's two people in this situation, in these circumstances, that because they stepped out on faith 
and did what God put in their heart because not they were afraid of God and afraid what he would do to them if they didn't do it because they had this awe and appreciation and love of their creator and, and they remembered how they got there. They re- probably remembered the covenant to Abraham. They, they, they understood it. They feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. We find in the midst of this, God calls people and uses people to help guide and lead his children through the unknown. He uses each and every one of you to impact, to help the next person see the way. Now, there's an uh, interesting dynamic here of ethics as you read on into this story. Because the king of Egypt summoned the midwives back. He says, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh. Here's what happens. These two girls, they get blessed by God for lying. Don't let that, don't tell your Sunday school kids that. All right? Yeah, your kids in here, you didn't hear that. But they... They, they tell the Pharaoh, they said, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before we can even get there. I mean, think about that, that story. Every person that had a baby had it before the midwives got there. All of a sudden, now they had great need for midwives before this situation. But all of a sudden, we just can't get there. And it says, Pharaoh believed them. And it says in verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. You see, their purpose, their balancing of, would it be better for me to kill all these babies or to protect them? tell a little lie to Pharaoh please God I don't know what that means for us I think it gives us the opportunity to balance the impact that we can have then in verse 22 the cliffhanger of chapter 1 then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw it into the Nile but, it, but let every girl live. We see the cliffhanger. We see that Moses has set the stage for his own story. Chapter 2, we find out what happens. We find out why God brought those midwives, why he placed in their hearts to protect them, those two specific people. We find out why he allowed Pharaoh to set this plan in place to put babies in the river. We see God's providence all over this. What I want you to ask is for you to see it in your own life. I want to tell you, seasons change. This is different. This is different than it was five months ago. God does not. It doesn't change. We will be tempted 
to look back and see what was a good place at one time, a good relationship, a good thing, is now a place of bondage. And God wants us to see that, and we should not want to be in bondage. This is much like, actually, what the children of Israel are going through, the Hebrew children are going through at this time, is much like the condition of mankind. That what we're all born into, the curse of sin... Slavery and bondage to sin, hopelessness. They could have never seen their, in their own minds a path out of Egypt. And yet God was listening, He heard them, He loved them. And you think about Jesus the night before. He was to be arrested. He knew a season was about to change. He knew he had escaped the Pharisees and the, and the Romans and everybody that wanted to arrest him for three years. I mean, he, he had bounced in and out with them, and he knew the favor was about to change. But he knew God wasn't changing. He knew his father wasn't changing. He knew this was part of his purpose and his plan. He was a human being just like me and you. He said, yeah, if it be your will, you could just let this, path, this cut pass from me. I'd just, I'd just rather not do this, to be honest. But I will. I, I, God just told me uh, this weekend that I was reading this, he said, somebody that's going to be there, somebody that's going to be listening, is going to need to hear these words. Move on. Maybe you've never given your heart to Christ and you're holding on to the bondage. You're saying, this is so much fun. It's so good. I know my life. I have no restrictions. I can do whatever I want. And yet you are under the curse of death. It says the wages of sin are death. And there's nothing. You may say, but I'm trying to do good. I'm giving. I'm, I'm showing up. You know, I, I stopped cussing. I stopped whatever. You know, you build this list of things and God says, your righteousness. <laughs> you can't do it. I see your heart. I see your heart that you're jealous of people. I see your heart that you get angry inside. I see your heart. There's only one way, only one righteousness enough. But you have access to it. All you got to do is believe in Him. All you got to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, you might be here and holding on to slavery. And my cry to you this morning is just move on, move away from it, move into the will of God. You, if you're a Christian here this morning, listen, we're just as tempted to hold on to the past. We're tempted to be so scared of tomorrow. He doesn't care about our yesterday. He cares about your relationship with him right now. And he cares about tomorrow. See, he's got a will, he's got a purpose for you. And as long as we're holding on, 
as long as we're camped and got our stake in the ground and we're not willing to step forward and move and take risk and, and step into the unknown, he cannot bless you, he cannot use you. And you see, our church is here in this place where we are getting ready to go into the unknown. We're getting ready to do things because we trust that God in the middle of chaos can do good things. That he calls people to do good things and take care of people. And that this is not the end of our community or the end of whoever is in charge of whatever politically. God is still in control. And we can still act like his church and believe and be hopeful for what he has for us. And that he still loves us and he loves our neighbor and he wants us to do the same. But we'll be really tempted to say, you know what, but God, we used to have 180 coming on Sunday morning, and last week we had 18. But they, some of y'all weren't here last week. Were you online? Who was online last week but not here? But the devil tell me last week only 18 people came. Your church is over. All right? The church, what? No, that's not true. But the devil will tell you those lies. That he's still not working on people's lives. Yet we got a baptistry full of warm water <laughs> this morning. We're going to baptize two. We got two more going to get baptized in a couple weeks. People are messaging every Sunday morning after service saying, God's word is pointing me in the right direction at this time in my life. Well, you got to be willing to step into the unknown. And I know I've not got to Moses yet, but we'll get there next week. And you're going to see how he worked in, your, in his life. And know that he can work just the same in ours. Today. In this time that we're in. So let me ask you, what are you holding on to? What are you so frustrated in the same but? I used to mean so much. This used to mean so much to me. And it may be, gosh, I mean, it could be as simple as I can remember when I was a kid and I had, uh, I had cousins and aunts and uncles that lived all over the country at Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house. They'd all drive in for Thanksgiving. I lived right there next to my grandmother in, in Salyersville. And, uh, God, those were the days. Remember when family was coming in from a long distance? Now you know when they're pulling in the driveway because they text you. When I was a kid, I was running in and out of the house waiting for somebody to turn in at the end of the driveway. And if they stopped to shop or eat somewhere, it left me in an hour or two of turmoil. Because right? you don't know. They don't stop at a pay phone and say, hey, we stopped. Now we know everybody's move. But y'all got those moments, those times, just, just in family in general, and many of those have passed on. My grandmother's gone. Family's not the same. But this part of me, God, I'd love to just be waiting again and have all those people, and, you know, that's when it was really good. God said, I gave you that good. It was good, but I got more. <laughs> I got more for you. There's better You've got that memory. Don't hold on to the things that are holding you back. Let's go forward. Let's move on because we've got work to do. People need to be loved. People need Christ. People need one another. Let's go do it.
Can we do it together? Can we move on? Can we move on through this? Can we take Moses? We're going to listen. We're going to, we're going to dive into the unknown because I sure don't know what the next three months hold, the six months, next year. I don't know. But God does. And we're going to trust him. God, as we get ready for a song this morning, I thank you for your promises. God, I thank you for these stories of Moses that proves how incredibly present you are with us. That you're listening, that right now you're preparing hearts. You've got people in here may end up stepping out in faith, not just to serve you, but to share, feel called to share your word and teach for you and lead and serve for you. God, not just be a Christian, but be an active Christian and step out in faith. God, we can't be in fear. We can be safe. But we can step out in faith. We can move on trusting you. You see, you consistently provide and gave guidance to the children of Israel, the Hebrew children, as they began to leave Egypt. You put things to guide them in the sky. You put leaders in place. You put... You took care and you guided. We want to follow you. We want to be like Matthew, who had every reason in the world to continue to be a tax collector, and yet, Jesus, you looked him right in the eye and said, follow me. And he stepped out. God, we step out this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. would stand with us as we sing a song this morning. If if you're watching online, God's dealing with your heart, I invite you to just pray right where you are. Stand where you are. Let's just, we're going to sing these words. I want them to come out your mouth. But some of y'all, it needs to come out of your heart this morning. What we're getting ready to sing. And if you're here this morning, You've never given your heart to Christ. I just want to know. I want you to know I love you. He loves you. He invites you to him. It's really that simple to just come to the well and drink of the living water, to put your faith in him. The Holy Spirit says he takes up a boat and inside of your heart, begins to take over your life. You become a, a new creature. Begins to, you become justified immediately righteous before God hope for heaven, eternal life is yours and it says it begins to sanctify us, to change our hearts, change our lives from the inside out and the first step is repentance it's that simple leave it all behind leave it all behind leave it all what you need but you keep on searching I've done all the work but you keep on working when you're running on empty and you can't find the remedy just come to the
Yeah. 